0: Hello and welcome to this edition of Advice Worth Keeping, KPMG's podcast series in which we interview KPMG leadership and subject matter experts, as well as third-party and client executives and thought leaders on key global business, socioeconomic, and geopolitical market trends and topics. My name is Stan LaPique. I lead market research and thought leadership at Earth for the KPMG Global Management Consulting Practice. I'm your host for this podcast series. And I'm pleased to have with us here today on Advice Worth Keeping, Eric Logan. Eric is a member of the U.S. firm. He's a principal focused on strategy work with our clients. And Eric is joined by Greg Corliss. Greg is Managing Director, also part of the advisory group, and a member of our Ignition team. So, Eric and Greg, thanks for joining us here today on Advice Worth Keeping. Today we have one in a series of podcasts around the state of the global manufacturing industry. On an annual basis, KPMG does a big study on the state of global manufacturing called GMO or Global Manufacturing Outlook. And we've been doing podcasts that dig into different dimensions of that market research or more importantly, dig into what our practitioners such as Eric and Greg are seeing with their clients out in the field on a daily basis. So today we want to talk about the impact of automation on the workforce in manufactured organizations. So to summarize the topic for today, the the future of the manufacturing workforce looks bright from our perspective. There's a lot of talk and there's concern that automation will wipe out jobs, and that's automation both in the context of the use of physical robots, but also more recently the topic has been around automation in the forms of intelligent automation, robotics process automation, and artificial intelligence, so software either complementing, augmenting, or maybe in some cases even replacing workers. So there's still some skepticism around how fast that will happen and to what extent it will. There's some skepticism around the impact data and analytics and other tools will have in the manufacturing organization. But what we want to hear from Eric and Greg today is reality of what's out there in the market. So maybe to start out with Greg, research and our client experiences show that CEOs, chief executive officers, feel that artificial intelligence as part of intelligent automation, but also robotics process automation will ultimately lead to more jobs than it will eliminate in the next three years, a potential net gain. From your perspective and what you're seeing with your manufacturing clients, where are we at with the impact of intelligent automation on the workforce in terms of the capabilities it will provide, but also importantly in terms of what will it do to the overall headcount and sort of the nature of what that headcount does in manufacturing organizations?
1: On that question, I kind of tend to agree with where the CEOs are thinking today as far as the workforce goes. I think in manufacturing, from a labor force perspective, we've seen a lot of reduction already occur with the implementation of robotics in the process, in the manufacturing process. When we think about AI and industrial Ford Auto and that new revolution and how that applies to manufacturing, I'm not sure if we're really going to see that same level of reduction in that workforce. I think what we're going to see is a bit of a retooling of that workforce. Redeployment of different types of skills, to help the manufacturing workforce adapt and leverage the new technologies. I think we're going to see AIs drive a lot of new human interaction models. AI is going to obviously present opportunities for intelligent automation and predictive analytics in the manufacturing chain. But in a lot of cases, human interaction is still going to be required. So the human factor is going to need to evolve to be able to take different types of actions than they necessarily do today. So I think you're going to see the new roles form, and new skill sets be required to kind of leverage this new AI technology in the manufacturing space. And we're hearing that a lot from our customers as well. It's a whole new breed of workforce that needs to emerge as a result of leveraging this new technology.
2: I'd agree with Craig. So when we start talking about what's happening with automation and the shifts, it's a lot different than it was with automation 20 years ago when robotics really started to come in to replace humans. At that time, the primary focus was doing processes similar to the processes that were historically done, except instead of using humans to do the processes, we were using machines. Now, and I think Industry 4.0, the next evolution of industry, is a really good moniker for it, because now we're shifting to how do we take advantage of a connected environment. And in doing so, then it's really much more of an enterprise transformation as opposed to using robotics to replace humans. We do this, it's imperative that we utilize all the communications infrastructure, understand the sensors that are going to be on machines, and perhaps all the way down through to final products, and that creates a completely different job market than we've seen in the past. We've already seen a significant shift in reduction of direct labor, Now we are going to have, in short term at least, increase in skilled labor um, in order to be able to roll out new technologies and move organizations to Industry 4.0, which is really one of the hottest topics out there because everybody recognizes that there's so much advantage to be gained by having some type of connected environment. question now is how to employ it correctly and how to be able to really get significant ROI from it. I think there's already been a lot of capital spended historically and as a result I don't see significant additional reduction in the workforce but I do see a complete shift in the way that we do business which is going to cause a need for a different skill set than we've had in the past.
0: So in terms of that different skill set, and Greg, you referred to it as the need to retool the workforce, what is it that the workers need to do? What do they need to understand that they need to do to be part of this workforce of the future in this very different environment? And equally, if not more importantly, what does management need to do to make sure they're Taking their existing workforce and then pulling them through to the next level or in some cases perhaps looking at a different type of workforce in terms of the skills that they have. So what should the workers be doing today? What do they need to step up and do? And what should management be doing to make sure that if we look out a couple of years, they have the right workforce to take advantage of industry 4.0 challenges and opportunities?
1: Sort of from the manager's side, I think as an organization goes through this industrial 4.0 transformation, they're going to have to look at all different aspects of the new technology being deployed and what it does to the organization. So management itself is really going to need to figure out what new roles need to exist, what roles are potentially sunset in this new work environment, and then they're going to have to work with their employees to figure out what role best suits some of their current capabilities and also run programs to bring them up to speed on some of the new technologies. So I think they're really going to get down to clear definitions of new roles and responsibilities in the industrial 4.0 age. And then build a program for their employees to begin executing and becoming educated in these new technologies. I think from the employee standpoint, it would really be a big mistake for them to sit back and wait for management to make some of those decisions. There's lots of information available on the public internet that they could start researching on what intelligent automation looks like, or robotics process automation looks like and what some of those changes are to those roles and how they need to educate themselves as well. They do a lot for themselves to be proactive in that manner and look at really where they want to take their career. If they're a traditional floor grader or technician, how does my technician role need to change and what technology could be deployed to help enhance that position, and then how do I stay in the forefront of that? So it really becomes two facets of responsibility from management. And employees take their own level of leadership make their own strides toward ensuring their employees are ready for that transformation.
2: In a survey that we conducted about a year and a half ago where we tried to assess the maturity of the companies from an Industry 4.0 standpoint, we looked at it from strategy down and one of the primary areas was looking at how it impacted the people and how companies were attempting to accommodate for the changes in the workforce that are necessitated by Industry 4.0. Interesting, those that were leaders in the maturity generally had a pretty detailed understanding of at least their projected changes to the workforce. The second took a very significant role to train the workforce in areas that would involve using cobots or working alongside robots, understanding more of PLC usage, et cetera. I think that the biggest part was also incorporate their workforce as part of the team to develop the future processes and really have a collaborative team environment where the workforce felt that they were brought along with the change as opposed to having the change enacted upon When we did the assessment, interesting because there are very specific leaders that we identified, and all of the leaders had those three components that they were employing with their workforce.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I think a good indicator of what organizations would be looking at doing and adopting. So maybe to shift gears a little bit, let's talk about one of the capabilities of, of this next-generation workforce or a capability that's enabled by some of these Technology, such as artificial intelligence we've been talking about, and that's predictive analytics. Predictive analytics, I think, is pretty straightforward conceptually. It's really using analytics to look forward and predict things as opposed to what a lot of data and analytics work has been done in the past in terms of looking at why things happened or, minimally, what happened. So relative to predictive analytics as a capability or perhaps an employee skill, where are we at with that? Where do you see clients at in the manufacturing space relative to the use of predictive analytics? What do they need to do to make this work? how real is it today versus something that's still a bit more aspirational?
1: i kind of a little surprised about the skepticism that exists around the potential of predictive analytics in the manufacturing space. You know, When we think about predictive analytics in the manufacturing process, there's a lot of benefit that could potentially be realized by having deeper insights into how the equipment on the operational floor is operating, obviously the quality of product that is occurring. Predictive analytics actually provides a lot of capabilities in that space can make much more effective business decisions on when you bring down a line and how the repair done in the middle of the night, opposed to having it fail independently during deep production hours. So there's obviously clear opportunities from the predictive analytics standpoint from that side, but also from product quality. I think, again, if you're monitoring the manufacturing line, are able to derive insights from how each piece of the equipment is operating, how the raw material that's going into the manufacturing process, and able to drive and understand those insights, and making sure that uh, the full quality of the product is going to be realized. Different types of manufacturing vary, but say in the chemical space or uh, material space, product waste is obviously a major factor, results in high cost of the manufacturing process. Predictive analytics on its basis, should be able to help address some of those current issues and keep the manufacturing floor operating much more effectively and efficiently than it does necessarily today.
2: If you look at predictive analytics, the potential benefits are undoubted. I think Greg has given a number of areas in which predictive analytics can be beneficial. But one of the things is that predictive analytics can also be employed throughout the value chain, looking at customers being able to predict demand, which then can be flowed back to your manufacturing floor, which then can be flowed back to your supply base. I think that being tied to the final product and being able to predict usage trends of the final product, which can dictate how you manage manufacturing, in that case, is the only time that I can see there being a significant challenge or skepticism around it, because a lot of that depends on the customer's desire to have data, especially usage data, collected. And it also brings into question the ownership of whatever data is going to be used for the prediction of demand. I think those are the two primary areas that I see where there's a lot of skepticism, and it's primarily based off of being able to share information. From a manufacturing shop floor, when you think about predictive maintenance and being able to predict what happens on the shop floor to better align your manufacturing with it, people have been trying to determine how to do that for a period of time. The biggest challenge that we have today with predictive analytics, from my perspective, is data overload. You have a number of organizations out there that are collecting mounds and mounds of data, but don't necessarily know what data is most important to be able to drive some type of predictive environment. And really being able to segment and analyze the data appropriately is a challenge that most, at least in my experience, are facing in order to be able to predict some demand or predict failures or predict quality. And that's the area that people are coming to us most or you're seeing people come to us most is, hey, I have a whole bunch of data stored up, but how do I, number one, analyze it, and number two, identify what type of failures this is going to predict for us or what type of demand it predicts for us? But in terms of like predictive analytics as a the tool, I think that uh, it's pretty commonly understood that it's beneficial. It's really more about the how to go do it than the question of whether or not it's beneficial.
0: Greg, and there are great examples there. And just to clarify that on the skepticism, that was one finding that came out of KPMC's annual CEO survey, that the CEO's were right that it's got a little predictive analytics. So it sounds like maybe the CEOs need to get out onto the shop floor out into the manufacturing line to really understand the reality of it today. And maybe that skepticism is a bit unfounded, with the exception of some of the caveats you both described. Next topic is the often spoke of war for talent. So if you look at organizations in general or manufacturing organizations in particular, what you've been describing with Industry 4.0 and the requirements and demands placed on the next generation workforce, there's a lot of competition for those workers, either competition for workers you have today, which have these skills, or competition for new workers in the marketplace. What do you see organizations doing to compete? And are manufacturers, in some cases, better positioned to compete for this talent, whether it be specialists in data and analytics for manufacturing or maybe more generic specialists in data and analytics in the form of a data scientist? I mean, what are manufacturing organizations doing? Is there a, a leg up they have or are they at a disadvantage, for example, against other high-tech firms? What are you seeing that's working or what are you seeing that firms should be doing to make sure, to the extent possible, they have the right talent to take advantage of Industry 4.0 in the coming years?
2: So based on what I've seen, and I'd say that in competition for the workforce of the future, Manufacturers actually have a bit of a disadvantage. I think a lot of that is driven historically because within the manufacturing sector for a period of time, as we did lose jobs in manufacturing in the 80s and 90s and had many positions that were offshored, became a less attractive industry to move into. And a lot of the younger generations were raised believing that it was a less attractive environment. However, there's significant opportunities as we've already mentioned within the manufacturing sector, and the job types shifted because it's becoming much more technology field than it is a hard labor field. So I think that the positions there, from the perspective of the job opportunities, they're there. It's just that it hasn't been noted as a glamorous industry or an industry that has excited as much interest as a lot of the high tech fields, as of late. In order to combat that. I think that manufacturing organizations need to get involved early. I know many companies have partnered with state government to create programs at state colleges and universities where they're sponsoring students and sponsoring programs to ensure that students are given the opportunity to be exposed to what's happening in the manufacturing environment. And by getting students interested early, then that assists significantly as well as changing the branding because it is, in fact, a technology environment and not the manufacturing environment of 20 years ago. Generally, students are interested in technology. I think that a lot of the work that's done from a design process engineering standpoint can compete with a lot of the design and innovation work that's done in other high-tech fields once students get exposed to it. So the key is first exposure and then a significant rebranding.
1: I absolutely agree there, there. I think the traditional view on manufacturing is it's not sexy hasn't been sexing a very long time. From a college grad coming out of university with a degree in uh, information technology or MIS type program, manufacturing is not to be a top of mind for it. Because again, it's seen as a very traditional process-oriented type of role. I think what you're seeing for a lot of the high-end talent, like data scientists, they're always looking for that new sexy thing to be working on. So when they're looking at new data sets from their organization or from their clients, they're looking for ways to enrich that data and capitalize on it. The manufacturing space its not traditionally seen as that capability is really there or that interest is there. But I think it takes a little bit of a changing in thinking in the way the workforce is and the candidates that you're trying to hire. You need to kind of evolve their thinking. You know, We're not just talking about manufacturing anymore. We're talking about high-tech manufacturing. So when you're comparing those to the large technology organizations that are out there in the environment, you kind of need to re- rebrand manufacturing to compete with those organizations. We all know everybody wants to go work for Amazon or Google or Microsoft. A lot of cases, the manufacturing space, they're leveraging those technologies that those companies produce. As opposed to going to work for them, you could be working on new innovative type solutions leveraging their technologies and driving, again, the high-tech manufacturing process into the next century. I think one of the big things to make sure that manufacturers are attracting the workforce, they're going to have to evolve a little bit themselves in their workspace environment. If you're talking individuals that could go work for one of the big tech companies, they want to work in interesting and collaborative type environments, which are not always well known in the manufacturing space. So I think manufacturers need to look at how they need to evolve their workspace to make it much more attractive to hire that top talent. And they also need to give them a little bit of latitude in what their purview is and what they're going to be looking at. Data scientists could develop algorithms all day long to prove how the manufacturing floor is going to operate and predict numerous activities in the manufacturing line or the broader ecosystem. But I think if you give them other challenges where give them access to the products, product information, social information on the products, and enrich the database or the data set with those additional elements, I think you'll start seeing that they're going to be very interested in looking at how to enhance and evolve products for that manufacturer and bring them along with the technology as it evolves as well. The challenge of manufacturers, that they're not willing to take some of these steps and see them as that high-tech manufacturer, they're going to have trouble competing for those activities. To be honest, they're going to be better contracting those resources as opposed to trying to bring them in-house.
0: Okay, well, Greg and Eric, great insight and great advice here on what manufacturers are doing and can do to really take advantage of things such as predictive analytics, intelligent automation, artificial intelligence. So maybe to wrap up, what do you see as the top one or maybe two challenges facing CEOs in the manufacturing sector today relative to adopting AI and predictive analytics, and what's your key piece of advice to help them overcome it?
1: I kind of see two big challenges. You know, besides obviously deploying a complex and intricate type technology, that's just a given complexity. But I think a lot of organizations don't necessarily look at the organizational impact and the business process redesign that's going to need to accompany those technologies really to be able to drive that value. I think the CEOs and the leadership teams really need to start that process very early and start considering where business processes change would be required, what new business functions would be enabled, what new work environments as we previously discussed, how we need to retrain the operational staff, recruit specialists as we talked about already, and our new business models or operating models, do they need to be developed to be able to adopt and leverage those types of technologies. So the earlier along as the building the strategy for industrial 4.0 or transforming the manufacturing process, they need to start thinking about those activities very early to be able to make sure that they're aligned and as they get to a go live state that they're ready to move forward with that. I think lastly, one of the big challenges is going to be obviously demonstrating the ROI of these types of technologies to board and shareholders. Talked about predictive analytics. There's a level of skepticism there already. The leadership team really needs to be able to clearly articulate what those benefits are going to be to the board and those shareholders, and the financial benefit that's going to materialize as results. You know, they're often very driven by the financials, less about the operational aspects. Creating a detailed business case and value-benefit creation model that clearly demonstrates that value and the path to realization of that financial benefit is going to be critical for them in their success and something that could be a very large capital-intensive investment that they're going to ask the board and shareholders to approve.
2: I think it's somewhat similar to Greg's, but my first one is culture. I think that the manufacturing environment has grown to have certain cultural artifacts and be viewed in a certain way. As we change the expectations and introduce new technologies, then I think you have to combat a cultural headwind. Again, this is one of the challenges that he noted time and time again by clients is that even if you put the technology in, getting people to adopt to using it and helping shift their skill set is much more of a challenge than actually doing some type of process or technology implementation. The first headwind is culture, and I think that really by bringing people along with you through the process, you have much greater potential of jumping the cultural barriers. The second piece is really short-term versus long-term. And it somewhat goes hand-in-hand with the ROI comments that Greg made. But all of this is occurring within a macro environment that's changing. The key word of today is disruption because most markets are being disrupted. And we've changed from a linear approach to market to a much more ecosystem approach where markets are tangential and you're being disrupted by not just competitors, but tangential markets. Because of the amount of disruption, the macro environment is changing. In looking at the long-term vision of how connected enterprise industry 4.0 technologies can play at your business, then you have to take that macro environment into account. But that's challenged by the short-term needs of shareholders. So generally what we find is that you have functionally-led projects that all have a specific ROI and very rarely are people looking enterprise-wise cross-functionally to be able to identify what the real opportunities are with Industry 4.0. Cross-functionally also means that there's going to be a cross-functional workforce component of it. But if you're looking at the long-term value of the connected enterprise, then it's going to be cross-functional in nature, and the ROI is going to be much harder to define than a point project. And I think that organizations are oftentimes running up against that challenge as well to address that. Really, they have to have strong leadership, and it needs to be cross-functional leadership, some type of governance model for how they're going to roll this out. And it has to be value first and not technology first. Because technology has changed so much, people are excited about technology, but we need to look at the long-term value from the perspective of the market as it's being disrupted and then project what changes can be beneficial, and that will lead to the changes within the workforce necessary. But they have to have that long-term vision as well as the short-term opportunities to be able to pay the way. Okay, great. Great way to wrap up,
0: Eric. So Greg and Eric, thank you very much for your time today. Some great insights on what's going on in global manufacturing relative to intelligent automation, artificial intelligence, predictive analytics. For our listeners out there, on the landing page for this podcast, you'll find a link to the 2018 edition of KPMG's Global Manufacturing Outlook Study as well as some additional materials that Eric and Greg's teams have put together on this topic. So thanks for your time, and Eric and Greg, great stuff. i will to have you back again to talk about this in more detail. And you can find the links to the items you referenced in the show today below the podcast. If you're online, of course, the URL for that is kpmg.com slash us slash podcast. That's a wrap. Thanks for your participation.